Uh, like I said, our lead pastor um, is in Minneapolis on vacation, and uh, he's, he's having a great time. I was messaging him this morning, and he's doing well. Um, I'm super excited for everything that's going on kid ministry-wise. I just, I'm super excited that our children are, we're, we're asking the question, you know, what is it that they need to know so that when they graduate high school, they are equipped and ready to, to walk into uh, the storms of life, but also um, the, the great sunsets of life, too, where you, you just enjoy the moment. And so we're asking that question. We're seeing a lot of, of fruit there, a lot, of, a lot of kids hanging out with us. Um, on, on Wednesday nights, we have a worship station uh, downstairs in the kids' area, and the kids, all, we always spend about 10 minutes, and we're praising God, hearing his voice. Um, we ask the kids, now, okay, now you, pr- you praise God, you pray to God, and it's amazing the things I learn about them, the Lord, and about you during those segments, so uh, <laughs> no pressure there. <laughs> uh, really, okay, let's move on to the next prayer, you know. <laughs> God, God bless, God bless them. You know, no, they're, they're, um, children are just the the kingdom of God belongs to the children. There's such a softness and sweetness about kids, and I just love, I love, love hanging out with them. I want to say a, a big uh, thank you to Christina Lee who helped with the parade of light. She's downstairs, and everyone that helps serve in that capacity. Um, in our in your program, you'll see that we won an award uh, for the best in theme for our city, and so we were listed there uh, along other churches and other uh, organizations. Uh, it's, it's just so much fun uh, to be light on, on a night like Parade of Lights, and uh, it was just a great time. I also want to say a big thank you to Deb uh, Williams, who led our Trunk or Treat event, and um, it was just over 500 kids came through and collected candy that night. We were handing out bracelets um, that had our name on Restoration Church, but also a verse about how Jesus comes to bring life. And, uh, and, and um, actually, I want to give away three gift cards this morning for some awards for that event. It's been, if you know my, my life, I just had a baby boy. His name's uh, Joshua. And um, life has been crazy for me for the last month. Uh, he's doing his great job about uh, keeping us up at night. So that's wonderful. Um, uh, who am I kidding? Keep my wife up. I'm trying to snooze through it, but oh boy. <clears throat> I want to give away three awards to people who, um, regarding the, the decoration theme of their uh, trunk or treat. And so the first one is going to go to uh, the Olsons. I don't know if they're here this morning or not, but the Olsons had like the most people of a family together doing a trunk. And they had basically like an Arctic theme and it was super cute and fun. And it was actually genius because, you know, they're warm and they're doing their theme. You know, some of us are freezing and, um, you know, doing our theme. But so they get one of the awards. Another one is the most interactive and that one's going to go to Sean. I think he, this is his second year. It's amazing. I wish I had some pictures for you. But basically, there's this, this um, Jurassic Park, huge T-Rex. There's multiple dinosaurs. And kids are literally coming through their trailers and walking. And like kids are going crazy for it. It's just an amazing one. And then Deb's trunk for, for the, the best gospel-centered trunk. And uh, it's just, it was incredible. It's this, this theme of, a, of the tomb. And it's kind of, you know, covered with uh, spider webs and, and, and 
the kids were just like poked their head open and when they poked their head in it says the tomb is empty you know and so and and so many people um deb was saying were interacting with her what does this mean oh that's clever oh and so it was a great gospel opportunity to share jesus with them and so um so we're going to give you one too deb Thank you guys again for all that you do um, to make some of these events happen for our next gen and just to see uh, life happen in, in, in these areas. So um, I'm going to share this video right away. It's called The Door. Um, it's, um, so our, we have every week we, hi we highlight certain global partners from around the globe that we support. There's around 40 of them that we support every single month worth writing checks to um, basically to, to support them, whatever they need. Um, creative communication, transportation, you know, um, curriculum, anything. Um, and we're supporting them. And one of the missionaries that we support um, is Jacob Bach. His wife, Julie, just passed and went to heaven. But Jacob, um, he's actually going to be opening up today's lesson. So go ahead and take a listen. You know, a lot of us live our lives as though there were no consequences. We live how we please and think that really, if nobody catches us now, it's not a big deal. Well, you know, if you go to the last book of the Bible and you find out what God says about what happens after we die, it's, it's quite surprising. It says that when we're all done on planet Earth and, and we stand before God, there's like a great library up in heaven. It says that the books are pulled and the books are opened and that the dead will be judged according to everything written in the books. So you know what that means? That means that you have a book, I have a book, our name's written on it, and every day of our life is recorded in that book, good things and bad things. Um, you know, thank you all of our thoughts and all of our words and and all of the things that we've done, our greed, our, our selfishness. I mean, doing things our way, not, not loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strengths. You know, the impurities and such. And imagine you stand before God and he opens up your book. He compares it according to his perfect law. And he goes page by page through every day of our life. You know, you think, well, what hope is there going to be for us, you know? I mean, who's, who's going to have a clean book? Who's going to have a book that's not stained with all sorts of disobedience and sin? And, and who's going to have entrance into heaven if the wages of sin, if the payment for our sin is death? Then there's not going to be any hope for us. There's, there's only going to be a, a, a place of, of suffering awaiting us. But you know what? God knew. God knew our situation. God knew we were like sheep that that get lost. God knew that we were going to stain our lives and stain our books from cover to cover. And so you know what he did for us? He, 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 his plan was to come down to planet earth and live the life that we were not able to live. His plan was to come down here and show us that a perfect life not only could be lived, but he was going to do an amazing thing for us. He was going to offer to exchange books for us. You see, you see, Jesus had a book too. And, and in his book was just perfect righteousness and, and obedience. And he pleased the Father in everything. And then he got up on this cross. And when he got up on the cross, the purpose of the whole cross thing was not because he was bad, but because we were. And he took the sins of our book, the disobedience of our book, the greed and selfishness of our lives, and he placed it upon himself. And when he died for that, he was punished for that. He paid the price for that. 
Then he rose from the grave and he ascended up to heaven and he sits at the right hand of God and it's as though he has his perfect book in his hand and he says, if you come to me, he says, I will be willing to exchange books with you. If you give me your book, I'll give you mine so that on the day of judgment, you won't have to stand before Father God with a life full of sin, but I will exchange books for you. I paid for all the bad things you've done. So come and take my life, take my righteousness, take my perfection, receive me uh, unto yourself. And you know, the promise is that if we come to Jesus and if we renounce the bad things that we've done and we ask him to forgive us, he'll forgive us. And the good news is that if we place our faith in what Jesus did for us, then all that will be applied to us. And so, what are we waiting for? Well, don't wait any longer. Do it today. Talk to Jesus. Say, Jesus, come. Come, and, and, and I give you my book, and I ask you to cleanse it from cover to cover, and I receive you today, and I ask that you would give me your righteousness, and that you would give me your life, and I give myself to you, and I want to follow you all the days of my life. You do that, and there'll be hope. I don't know about you, but I want the book of Jesus on that day when, when the books are opened. I don't want my book to stand in front of me. I want the book of Jesus, which is clean, pure, um, perfect obedience. That's who I want, the book that I want to be holding. And so today we are actually going to be talking about how to live with peace between heaven and with earth. Um, how, how do we live from a place of actual peace? And Jacob, our global partner, that's, that's what he was describing, is this peace between God and man. And so, um, just to start off, just, just um, some brief history from, from way back when the first two people created, Adam and Eve, God actually created them into that reality, that realm of perfect peace. They were completely alive, uh, intimacy with him, they had access to him, they had um, just a great fel fellowship. Anytime they wanted it, they were super tight with God. Um, God, created, um, God created them. Um, gave them a command, and, he, and this is the command that he gave them in, in Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. It says that the Lord took the man and put, them, uh, put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and keep it, to take care of the garden. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now, the Bible actually records Adam to be living for hundreds of years. And so he didn't actually die in that day, but what did die? The thing that died that day was his spirit. And his spirit actually was severed from that connection. Now, now what he is left with was brokenness. There's no peace. There is, he's afraid now. He gets sick. And it climaxes eventually into his death. And that's what he, that's what he, got as a result of as a result of disobedience and unfortunately uh, if you have if you are a human uh, we were born into a war against God if you're born you're born into that and it's it's every single human being if you were to put a scale a spiritual scale and you put Jesus on one side and us on another side uh, who's going to be more righteous it's going to be Jesus every time. What about a baby? Who's going to be more righteous? Jesus every time. Jesus is perfect in everything. And so it doesn't matter um, who it is, where we're at, everybody needs to go through the door, and the door is Jesus. Everyone needs to go um, through, through Jesus. He's the only way to heaven. And so today we're going to talk about how, do we, how does our spirit 
re-enter that peace. We've kind of talked about it through our song. We've kind of talked about it through ministry moments. Um, but there's something we've got to re- realize that to every human being, um, there are three parts. There is our spirit, there's our soul, and then there's our body. And some theologians could debate this. It, it's not over, overwhelming, but you could almost lump spirit and soul into one. Um, but to differentiate them, uh, the spirit, the way that I see it, is it's either alive or it's dead. It can't grow sick. It can't grow, you know, it's, it doesn't become lost. It's not, a, it's not a good word to describe your spirit. The best way to describe your spirit, it's either alive or it's dead. And there's no other, there's no other way to look at your spirit. And so today, uh, you ask yourself, is my spirit alive or is it dead? And we're going to talk about that. Our soul is a thing that actually grows sick or it can grow healthy. And it's our emotions, it's our, it's our personality, it's our preferences. It's the part when I tell you, wow, you look great today. It's the part that you feel, oh, that, that makes me feel good. That's your soul. And then, of course, your body is the part that you see. This is my body, that's your body. And um, eventually, um, our bodies are going to die. Um, don't put your focus there because, you know, you have people like Enoch and some others, Elijah, that were taken from the, bi- from, from the world um, that may not have experienced death the same way that we would imagine it. So set your focus on Jesus. Don't focus on, oh, someday I'm going to die, so just deal with it. Set your focus on Jesus. And so, um, but even after we die, the Bible records that Jesus is going to take the body that you have now and restore it and give it a spiritual ability, basically to live in a timeless era, basically live forever and ever and ever when he comes. And so if you don't like the way that you look, um, I encourage you, start speaking over yourself because God likes the way that you look. God likes the way that you sound, your, your um, personality. He created you with, you know, it says that God actually knows when a sparrow right now, if a sparrow were to die in a field, he knows when that would happen because he's so mindful of us. So it's not like he he looked at you and said, whoops, man, I really messed that one up. He is so mindful of us. And uh, I'm, I'm thankful that that's how our Father sees us. You ever wonder uh, why God put that tree in the Garden of Eden if he knew that, you know, we were going to fall? Um, the reality is, without a choice, it's impossible to prove love. You can't, you can't say that you love someone unless you have the choice to either love them or not. So if God programmed us to love him, it really wouldn't be love. It would be we're programmed to love. We're programmed to do this and that. Um, but the fact that we could say, you know, I'm going to take this fruit or I'm not going to take it shows. Jesus said this constantly in the New Testament. He says, if you love me, just do as I say. You know, and we say that so much to our, even our own children. Hey, I ask that you do what I say. Why? Because it's a proof of their love towards us. And ultimately, we know what's best for them. We're trying to keep them safe, and we're trying to keep them growing. And it's, it's so true. I think the reason why God gives his kids is because he wants us to experience the way that he feels towards us so that we can see from a very practical level. Um, you know, he's trying to move us from this place to this place to this place. Um, because Adam and Eve... Um, made that choice to disconnect, to disobey God. This is recorded, um, the, the sinful, uh, Paul records what our sinful nature is like. Romans ch- uh, chapter eight says, for the sinful nature 
in us. It's always hostile to God. It never obeys God's laws and it never will. And that's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. You can't please God if you're constantly in this lifestyle of sin and you can't, you're, you're not overcoming it. And so we're going to, and I'll define that better as we move on. In John chapter 8 verse 34, Jesus said, truly, truly I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. Romans 3.23 says, For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. And as, as Jacob Bach said in Romans 6, it says, For the wages of sin is death. In other words, the thing that you get, the thing that you've earned, the thing that you deserve and that I deserve is death. Every single time, for the wages of sin is death. So what we deserve is, and what we earned is spiritual death. God's judgment. I want to... I want to um, show you what Jesus, how Jesus describes the end judgment, kind of what it's going to look like. This is the words of Jesus. He says, but when the Son of Man comes in his glory, he's talking about himself, and the angels will come with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne, and all the nations will be gathered in his presence, and he will separate the people as a shepherd, uh, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left. And then the king will say to those on his right, the sheep, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from creation of the world. There's a kingdom that God is preparing for you and for me. And it's been prepared before the foundation of the world. And he's going to tell these people, enter into heaven. Enter into the relationship that you have cultivated here on earth. That's to know Jesus. And then verse 41, it says, Then the king will turn to those on the left, the goats, and say, Away with you, you cursed ones, into eternal fire. And this is the key phrase you got to um, pick up here. Um, you cursed ones, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his demons. Um, hell was never intended for you and for me. Hell was intended only for de- the devil and his demons. Um, it's an injustice that these people are, are, that they never found Jesus while on the planet. It's, it's absolutely horrific and the worst news possible that these people had the opportunity. They lived their lives, but they never encountered either a Christian or God in some form. And so they're going to a place for the devil and his demons. It says, and they will go into eternal punishment, but the righteous will go into eternal life. On another occasion, Jesus gives us a glimpse of two people that was, one was a rich man who didn't know God, and then there was a poor man, and his name was Lazarus, and he did know God. This is not the same Lazarus that Jesus raised from the dead. This is a completely separate story. And, and the Lazarus was a poor man. We'll call the rich man rich. And, uh, and, and so Lazarus dies. He goes to heaven. He's with Abraham. And the rich man dies, and he goes to hell. And this is where the story picks up. This, again, from the words of Jesus. Jesus says, Father, sorry, Jesus is telling the story and the rich man in hell says, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am agony in the fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you are a great chasm that has been set in place. So those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over 
from there to us. He answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not come uh, to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses, they have the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to him, If they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. So from this passage, we don't really talk a lot about, uh, we don't talk a lot about hell because it's very uncomfortable. And um, like me, I grew up very terrified of the, the idea of being in hell. Or, you know, I would watch um, uh, Indiana Jones uh, and that, the scene where, you know, he's being lowered in that gate. I, it terrified me because it was such a, a um, vivid reality of what hell could be like. And from this passage, we see that there's physical pain. You know, um, water on earth is fairly uh, accessible, uh, especially to our side. Um, but we're digging wells for other people. Um, but water is the thing that sustains us. You can't, the, if you don't have water, you can't, you can't have life. And right now, the rich man is asking, if you would just dip your finger and cool my tongue, that would be enough. So there's physical pain in hell, and there's a lot of physical pain, and it's um, if those who have died are still in hell now. Those who, are, those who w- will die, who don't know Jesus, are going to still be in hell. Hell is a very real place. Um, not only is it a physical pain, it's a place of shame and regret. Uh, you spend, you know, if you've ever spent any time uh, under a panic attack or anxiety, um, that would be a good day in hell. Uh, in hell, you are constantly reliving, why didn't I take Jesus on? Why didn't, the most offensive topic in hell is simplicity of the gospel, of Jesus, and how all we had to do was make him Lord, but for the rest of You can't even say time. For the rest of eternity, there will be a thought that goes through your mind. Why didn't I trust Jesus, Lord? And and, um, so there's that that regret, that shame. Um, Not only that, there's worry. I mean, part of that anxiety is, God, would you please, I mean, there's a cry in hell right now that people are saying, would you please send someone to warn my family? Even people in hell are pleading with, with God Please send someone to reach my unsaved family member. And so there's a very, it's a very real place, very anxious place, scary. Um, and so ultimately hell's going to be full of pain. And the, the greatest, I would say the greatest reason why hell is so terrible is because Jesus will not be there by your side. He won't be there to comfort you. And he's not going to be there to restore you. That's why it's so important on this side of heaven that we're doing that now. And we're going to talk about that also in just a few minutes. but. We walked away in Eden. Our ancestors walked away from God, but Jesus never changed. Sometimes we think, well, you know, you telling me if I put my hand in the cookie jar and I take it out, you're going to walk away from me? You're going to just end this? The reality is he is perfectly just. He is perfectly good. And in order to, if, you, if, if there's going to be perfect justice, one sin earns eternal separation. And so even though it looks like God walked away from us, we walked away from God. And the enemy will always spin it to make it look like God's holding out on you and God doesn't like you and God. 
It's just not true. We walked away from God. God never walked away from us. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus wants to give us a free gift. That's his son, Jesus. He wants to give us that book. Romans 5.10 says, For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. Romans 10, 11 through 13 says the scriptures tell us anyone who trusts in him, Jesus, will never be disgraced. Jews and Gentiles are the same in this respect. They have the same Lord who gives generously to all who call on him. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. In, uh, a jailer that, that actually imprisoned great apostles uh, in, in, the, in the New Testament asked these apostles, he said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, along with everyone in your household. That's God's plan, is to restore peace to our spirits, to restore complete, perfect uh, unity between us and God. And so what does believe mean? If believe on the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved, what does that mean? It means to put active faith and trust in Jesus. It means to put active faith and trust. Um, and not only that, but it's also sincerely apologizing. Someone, I think it was Grace that actually prayed, you know, to actually tell God that you're sorry. You know, we've, we actually hurt him. We actually offended him. He's, he doesn't hold a grudge against us, but that sin, that sin issue, okay, uh, it, when you're sorry for something, there's a natural apologetic, there's a remorse in our hearts. You know, if, if you've ever um, been in a very serious relationship with someone, a, a spouse, a uh a son or a daughter or a sibling, and you, you know, it's one thing to, you know, little fights here and there, but it's a whole other thing when there is something that you, you, you did super wrong and you want to restore that relationship. There, there's only one way that you can do that. It's, it's through apologies, through humbling yourself and apologizing to them and saying, you know, I don't know what we got to do. Let's make this right, you know. But with Jesus, it's, it's not just saying that you're sorry. It's actually turning. It's actually saying, you know what, I was living that way. Now I'm going to live this way. And it's, Literally, when, when that, this, this transaction happens, you're putting active faith and trust in Jesus, and you're apologizing to him, you're having an honest conversation, and then and, and you turn. What happens is God actually gives you his spirit. We talked about this. And his spirit actually makes you start preferring the way that Jesus lived. You start thinking the way that Jesus thought, and you start doing the things that Jesus did. And there's a hunger inside of you, a spiritual hunger, that makes you want to do what and live the way that Jesus lived. It's, an ama- it's, it's actually a miracle. Um, Jesus said it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone to get saved, than for someone to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier, if you can get a, walk a camel down here and fit them through the eye of a needle, the day that that will happen will be the day that someone can get saved on their own. It's impossible. And, the, and his listeners said, wow, then who can be saved? And Jesus said, for all things, uh, for, for the things that are impossible with man, those things are possible with God. And this is the transaction Jesus is referring to. He's saying, if you want a miracle, a miracle of a clean heart, a clean spirit, a alive spirit, it's calling on Jesus, getting real with him and honest, apologizing and saying, Jesus, from now on, you're Lord. I'm following you. It's just turning. And so this is the, um, Jesus actually described eternal life this way. He says, and this is the way to have eternal life, to know you, God, the Father, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you sent on earth. You know, if I said, who knows Michael Jordan? You know, every hand would go up. I know them, but that's not the no he's talking about. He's talking about knowing them intimately and actively. 
if someone were to call your cell phone, you're going to either ignore them or you're going to answer them. And if you answer them, if you don't know them, you're not going to be on the phone long. And the closer the intimacy, the longer you're going to be on the phone. And it's the same way with God. Jesus wants us to be intimate with him. Intimacy just means into me you see, right? It's just being that, that the walls come down, you're transparent with the Lord, you can tell him anything. And that's why I think it was good this morning um, not being afraid to tell God where you're at. God is not afraid of sin. He's not afraid of you. He's never been like, oh my goodness, I can't believe it. God sees, every, like Jonah, in Jonah's sin, and Jonah's running away from God after God gives him a deliberate command to do something, and Jonah's hanging out at the bottom of a ship, sailing away. God is not ashamed or afraid of us. God wants to restore us, and that's why he's so diligent to pursue us. That's why what, he has so much trust in that Holy Spirit, and his Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of us, and now he knows. It's just a matter of time. It's either you're going to choose death, or you're going to choose life. And we're going to talk about that in, in, just, in just a second. Our spirits went from dead to alive. We were at war with God. Now we're at peace with God the moment that we repent. It's just a turning away and putting active faith and trust in Jesus. That's what happens. And it's difficult because it's so simple, but yet it, it's, it's, it's very complex in the sense that faith, without faith, it's impossible to please God. This is such a simple message, but faith is assurance in the words of Jesus. Jesus has actually revealed himself. The Bible is an open journal that he leaves, so to speak, on his dresser, on his nightstand. And he says, anyone wants to read it? You want to know every thought that's going through my brain? You want to, go, you want to know everything about me? Everything that you need to know for life and godliness? I have it recorded. And if you study it, you'll know the Lord. If you don't study it, it's really... I tell the kids this all the time. It's really difficult to say that you know God, know Michael Jordan, if you don't study who he is. Okay? So it's really important that we are men and women of the word. We, we spend time. We prioritize as a family. Heather and I just recently started um, uh, really prioritizing family devotions and um, just, just valuing the word of God. And I want to encourage, there's a lot of ways to hear God's voice, but the Bible if you don't know what's in the Bible, you don't know what pleases God and what offends God or, or what, what path. Every sin leads to death, ultimately. That's why God doesn't like sin. It's not that he's afraid of sin or he's disgusted like, oh, I can't, I can't handle it. That's not God's heart. He is so big. He's so strong. He is so powerful. He can overturn any sin in a second. But he knows that if we keep sinning after we've come into the faith, that it leads, it's always going to lead to death. That's why he wants us to trust him and, and constantly say, God, I messed up. Please forgive me. See, the thing is, is when we put our faith and trust in Jesus, our spirits are alive, good to go. We're, we're strong. Now, you know, some of you guys might be worried by the fact, are you saying you're once saved, always saved? Um, I would say that once you're saved, truly saved, it's very difficult to become unsaved. Why? Because we have never experienced a love of anywhere on the planet from that of God. God's love, let me read it for you. Um, Romans 8.38, this is what it says. It says that I am convinced that nothing can separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, 
Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below, indeed nothing in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus, see it's, it's an active relationship. He's, it, it's, if it's real, it's active. And you know, if you're married or have been married, you understand the stresses of marriage and the, the challenges and the choices of marriage. And um, for me, could I choose to ever leave my wife and move out? Yes, I could choose it. Could I choose to divorce? Could I choose to just, just completely just walk away from it all? Yes, I could choose it. You know, God told a prophet in the Old Testament uh, his name was uh, Hosea, to marry a prostitute. He says, hey, prophet, man of God, holy, you know, go marry a prostitute because I want to I explain my relationship with Israel, my heart. I, I'll be, rep, you'll be representing me and, and the prostitute will be representing the people of God, Israel. And he says, go marry her. And this prostitute would come and be with him and then leave and go find another and come be with him and then go find another and come be with him. And this was the cycle of Israel. God knows our humanness. God knows where we're at. And God knows that we can bunny trail sometimes. But as Pastor Mark shared about the prodigal son who spent all of his father's inheritance on wild living, parties, prostitutes, gambling, and spent it all, the father was waiting there for him when he came back. That's how, that's the love that the Father has towards us. So, sin is going to make your soul sick. Sin is going to make your soul sick. Not your spirit. Your spirit's alive or it's dead. I, I you know, if we can talk about that later, but your soul is a thing that makes you feel. That's where your feelers are, right? It's when, when someone says something negative to you, you're like, okay, whatever, you know. Offense. When there's offense in your heart. We're talking about soul issues, okay? Um, in John chapter 16, verse 33, it says, Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows. See, God wants you and I to be able to overcome these, these trials, these struggles. But we have to have a, a healthy soul. If we don't have a healthy soul, it's really hard to navigate the Christian life and to even operate in faith because we're so focused on our issues, our faults. Whenever, you know, Whenever there's a problem that looks bigger than God's solution that, that God can handle, um, our soul might be a little bit sick. Our soul might be a little bit distant. We might feel, the reality is that we might feel distant from God, like, you know, a long way away, but our spirits are either, they're either alive or they're dead. And if they're alive, God is there and he's holding us. But our soul, on the other hand, when we're, when we're letting sin in, you know, that, those past sins that we used to do, and we're like, yeah, it's not that bad. You know, we start looking at Joe Blow and Susie Snodgrass, and we're like, oh, well, I'm, be I'm better than her, but, you know, him, I'm, he's, I'm reaching for him, you know. Um, the reality is, is that we can never afford to compare yourself to a fellow brother or sister. You only compare yourself to Jesus, oh, always, because Jesus is a perfect standard. Don't ever go down the, the comparing game, because, because the, only one, the only book you should be holding on is not Susie's or Joe's, it should be Jesus's, Okay. And Jesus' book is the one that leads to life. Matthew uh, 
chapter 7. This is, this is the way that Jesus actually trains us how to have peace in chaotic uh, places. Matthew chapter 7, it says, Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise. It's like a person who builds a house on a solid rock, and though the rain comes in torrents and, and floodwaters rise and winds beat against that house, it's not going to collapse because it's built on bedrock. In other words, they're digging deep, and they're digging until they literally hit the crust of the earth, the bedrock of, of, of the world. But anyone who hears my teachings and doesn't obey it is foolish, um, like a person who builds a house on a sand. And when the rain and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. <clears throat> the emphasis here is, listens to my teachings, my logos, that's the word there, my, the word that I speak, that active voice, listens to that voice and then does what I say, is someone who's considered to be wise in the spiritual realm. If you want a healthy soul, we have to learn to hear God's voice and then do it. And that's why I say, if, we're not, if, we're, if we don't know God's opinion, if we don't know God's opinion on offense, sexual immorality, if we don't know God's opinion on how to praise how to be generous, if we don't know God's opinion, then you are living by your feelings. And the, one of the biggest differences uh, between a Christian and a non-Christian is that a non-Christian lives by their feelings. Follow your heart. Do whatever feels good in the moment. That's why divorce, um, separation, that's why um, there's so, so many different things. Like anything that promotes a lack of commitment, um, it, it springs up is because I, I just I'm a I'm a bus driver for the Huron School District, and it's a funny story. Quick, I was I was driving the, the school bus, and this kid looks at me, and I say, "Hey, you need to sit down on the bus. We're moving." And he goes, "Oh, okay. Uh, I don't I don't really think I have to do that." And he's like, "Well," and I told him, "Well, I th- I think you need to sit down because we gotta we gotta keep you safe, man. If a deer comes out and we have to slam on the brakes, you know, you're gonna go flying." And he's like, "Yeah, I don't think I want to do that." And I was like, "Well." Um, you're going to have an assigned seat right up here in the front so I can keep an eye on you, make sure that you're sitting down. And he's like, well, how long, how long do I have to keep that? I was like, well, maybe 2020. <laughs> he was not impressed. And he, and he said, oh, really? Well, guess what? I'm not riding the bus anymore. And, I said, and he goes, yeah, I don't have to listen to John. And, uh, and that is our attitude towards God a lot of times. God says, hey, forgive 70 times 7. Why? Well, forgiven that many times Lord he's like well one more time and you're like I don't have to ride the bus anymore see you later God you know I think the the biggest reason why God has a hard time with our not being able to forgive people is because when we are not forgiving others it's because we have forgotten how much we've been forgiven that's why I say sometimes it's good to just not not to conjure up your past in those shameful moments to like yeah I'm never going to shake but to think about how much God has forgiven you. I mean, if, if I were to post some of the things that I've done, thought, acted on, it would it, be so shame-filled. And yet God pulled me out of that mess, and now he's, he's allowing me to be light to other people and pulling them out of that same area. When we don't extend forgiveness, it just means that we've forgotten that God's forgiven us. We've forgotten to the degree in which God's forgiven us, and Prayer, talking to God, it's just like, not, not like this. This is a lot of times how we pray. Like, I'm just going to do all the talking. If you were God and I was me, God, and then this is what we're going to do, and this is what we're going to do. 
this is not prayer. This is me just speaking. Prayer is me talking, letting him talk, and me talk, and him talk. It's back and forth. And a lot of times, um, you can cover a lot of ground when you pray. Um, there's so much to pray about. Praising is when you're, when you're saying something like, you know, Marvin, you look great today. You're a man of God, and you're, inf- you're the star of the room, and your influence carries weight in our body, and we're thankful for you. That feeling that, feeling that you get um, that I'm, I'm talking about your character and how we view you, that's praising. And God, the, way, the same way that you feel when I say that about you, if I were to say that to you, is the same way God feels when you praise him. Okay? He is a person. He is not a, just an entity that you know, is just floating around. He, we're made in his likeness. We're made in his image so that we can relate to him. We could have been made animals, but he prefers us to be made humans, formed in the same image of God so we know how to relate to him. He is, he is not just like us, but he, is, uh, a, he has personhood to him, and he likes to be talked to. He likes to be praised. Uh, it's important to be thankful. Being thankful is just voicing something that the Lord is either doing in you or, doing, or has done in you. Just, re- just remember, every story in the Bible, crossing the Red Sea, Jesus healing the blind eyes, this is our history. This is us. If you're in the kingdom, this is your history. You can be thankful for all of it. God, I thank you that you led me out of Egypt. How does that pertain? Well, if you would have seen my past, you would know that that was, that was my Egypt. And we can be thankful for it. You know, the verse says here, the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and winds beat against the house and it won't collapse because it's built on bedrock. Jesus knows that anxiety, is, it, it's, it's going to cripple us. He actually commands us, don't worry. And so if you open up his thoughts and his opinions, and you, and you see here, don't worry, don't be afraid. Okay, okay, your Lord, I will follow that. I say yes to that word. Um, that's, building, that's building your house on bedrock. Storms are going to come. They have a way of finding us. Storms are going to come. But if you seriously take these, these truths of the Lord, and you start saying yes to them and doing them, those storms are going to hit you, and they won't touch you. Your faith won't be shaken. You won't be left with, God, I don't know if you're really there. Your faith will be strong in Jesus. Offense is the same way. You know, God says, forgive every time. It's going to, if you don't forgive, Jesus actually says, well, I'm not going to forgive you because you don't understand. If you're, if you're not forgiving, you've lost sight of how much you've been forgiven. Same way with sexual immorality. There is a million different forms and versions of this. Um, Sexual immorality always leads you to be chasing a feeling. And you want, you want to live in that feeling. And when you finally get there and act upon whatever it is that you're after, um, it leaves you wanting more. It's just a feeling. And again, Christians are led by faith. People that don't know Jesus are led by feelings. So sometimes you do what's right even when you don't feel it. A student on the bus said, you know, I, I, told, I told him, I said, hey, you, you need to be nice to the student. Can you, you need to learn to be kind. And he said, he said um, I'm just being real. I said, sometimes it's better to be fake and kind than to be real and rude. And that's what I mean. Why? Because, and what I mean by fake is not fake in the sense like everything that you're coming out of your mouth is fake. What I'm saying is sometimes you've got to do what you don't want to do. Sometimes God says to be kind instead of real. Instead of, I'm just going to share whatever I want. 
Jesus' way of living always leads to life. You can't earn God's favor. You can't earn God's love. It's impossible. The only way that Jesus' favor is on your life is when you're holding the book of Jesus. When you're holding his book and you've made that transaction, you said, God, I'm sorry for what I've done. I turn my life over to you. You're Lord. And in all my, in all my failures and all my shortcomings, I just ask that you help me. When you do that, a miracle happens in the spiritual realm and he literally gives you, he hands you his book. And to believe that is faith. And to believe that is what we're talking about. What do, you, what do I gotta do to be saved? Believe. Believe on Jesus. Believe what he did. But anyone who hears my teachings and doesn't obey it is foolish, like a person who builds a house on a sand. See, sand is unpredictable. It's beautiful, but it's unpredictable. And it doesn't matter how many sandcastles have ever been built, they've all fallen down. And, you know, the thing with the sandcastle is all you need is a drip of water, and it's already falling. I want to be a house that's on bedrock, that when the storms of life hit me, I not only can withstand it, but I can look out and smile because I know that God is holding me. You know, tornadoes, are, tornadoes and hurricanes are fun to watch on YouTube because you're not threatened. But it's a whole different ballgame when you're there and you're, you're, you feel attacked. And see, I want to be able to handle that, cir- that circumstance the same way. You approach a storm the same way that you approach the, the streams that... The, the, how King David said, you know, the, the valley of the shadow of death or the lead me beside still waters. Both places are from a place of peace. And God will lead you through a valley if in the, in the good times, in the times where there's sunsets, it's beautiful, you're saying yes to him. If you're building when it's nice out, anyone, atheists, will cry out to God when the storms are hitting but show me a man that will cry out to God when everything's good and I'll show you a man that will stand the test of time, that will actually not just make it through, I'm surviving, but will thrive through a storm. So, what, so you know, the reality is, is God, God is not far from us. He, it's, it's not that he is distant from us. If our soul is sick, it's only a feeling and we need, all we have to do is repent again. It's just to turn back. This is um, the last slide there. Why don't you put it up for me? It's how to find God in peace. Um, this is just a, this isn't like, okay, did that, did that. It's just like a general outline, however you want to look at it. But this is God's heart. It says, th- this is how you actually find peace in God, whether it's in your spirit. If your spirit is not alive in Christ, if you haven't surrendered to God, um, the Bible describes your condition as you're dead. And your body's alive, and you might even have a halfway decent soul, but your spirit is a thing that's going to live forever, okay? So if your spirit's alive, um, we can do this if we're struggling, but if our spirit's dead, these are some things that we really need to take care of. The first one is humble yourself. Every, every time, step number one of restoration, every single time is humble yourself. God gives grace to the humble, but resists the proud. It's like a child. You know, if a child is comes up to me and he, and, and he goes, yeah, you know what? I don't care. I'm, it wasn't my fault. It was their fault. And now I got to go into teach mode. Now I got to go into discipline mode instead of, you know what, dad? I really messed up. And I'm so sorry. There's a whole big difference how the father sees us and it's intimacy. It's how we are humbling ourselves before him. 
So open up your heart. That's the intimacy. Apologize, because it really hurts. It really did cost Jesus. That free gift really did cost Jesus something. And the last thing is make his thoughts, plans, and priorities yours. The bottom line is you can't outside of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's the down payment. God gives himself to you. Now his thoughts, his plans, and priorities can be yours, but we stay from a place of humility and we say yes, yes, yes to you, God. So I want to ask this morning, you can, uh, I know it's time to go, you can do this any moment of your life, any moment, but today is the day of salvation. God wants to make you and him tight, your spirit's alive, and one of the things God wants to give you is assurance. God wants to actually give you assurance that if you were to die today, you would be with him. Not because of, yeah, I went to that church and I, and I man, I really meant it, really tried, but because Jesus is gonna hand you a book and it's gonna be his. If you have never given your life to Jesus, I wanna pray for you this morning. And it's the most important thing you'll ever do in your life. If you are in a storm and you would admit that I have not been diligent to make his thoughts, priorities, and everything else mine during the good times, I've just been reckless. I've just been like, I've been using God as a genie. I haven't really... I haven't really, really diligent in any of it. God wants to restore you too. It's just a turning. It's just a humbling. It's saying, God, yes, to you again. If that's either one of you, I want you to pray with me. And just put your hands out. If that's you, you just put your hands out like this. I'm going to put my hands out because I love Jesus and I always want more of him. But specifically, if, if the Lord's speaking to your heart, and, and you feel God nudging you to, to respond, just put your hands up. Jesus, you see every heart that is turned towards you. You see every person, God, that you created. And, and this morning, your path, your paths crossed. And you're excited about them, Lord. Lord, we're, as Pastor Mark's been talking about, we're the, we are the prodigals running home to you. We were, we have maybe even grown up in your, in your, in church, we've grown up going to church, but we have ran away and we've spent all of our money on things about us and not you. God, would you please forgive us? Would you please forgive the, the ways that we have acted towards you and towards people? Would you forgive all of the shame, the yes that's been in our heart for all the wrong things, God? Would you do something new in us, God? Would you be like King David prayed, God, Create in me a clean heart, God. Renew a right spirit in me, God. We love you, Father. And we commit ourselves to you. In Jesus' name, amen. The, the word of God is life. His words are life. If you don't have a Bible and you need one, we would love to bless you with one. Um, again, you know, we're very limited on them, but if you really, truly, this is kind of like a new thing, you just gave your life to the Lord, we want to bless you with a Bible. Um, but if, if you would like prayer for anything, we would love, our prayer team will be here um, at the end just to pray with you. But I pray God's very blessed on you, very best on you, and I pray that you experience his peace today, whether it's in your soul or in your spirits today. So thanks so much for being here. God bless you this week.